This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Bin Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Lord Octavian! Ah, Dr. Olympus. It's a pleasure to meet you. Where is Cleopatra? It's been days since I was allowed to see her. Why... She's right here in her chamber. Take a peek for yourself. No, she can't be. How did she die? Well, I've heard stories of you and the queen secreting away stocks of poison. Perhaps you slipped her a vial to use in case things went south? That's a wild accusation. As her royal physician, I demand to inspect the body. Oh, don't fret. I've got my best Roman doctors on the case. Did you do this? Are you accusing me of murder? Let me see her. The people of Egypt deserve the truth. But all they'll get is my condolences. Long live Cleopatra. Roman leader Octavian held a grudge against Cleopatra for years. The Egyptian queen's affair with his co-ruler, Mark Antony, made her an object of scandal and scorn across the Mediterranean, and Octavian eventually declared war against her. In 30 BCE, Octavian prevailed and Antony and Cleopatra lost. Many historians say that when Cleopatra realized she and Antony had failed, she died by suicide. But some historians now believe that story was a cover-up for the murder of the most powerful woman in the world. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. 
This is our final episode on the life and death of Cleopatra. Last week, we tracked her rise to power, her affair with Julius Caesar, and her new romance with Mark Antony. This week, we'll cover the events that led to the Battle of Actium, the aftermath that tore Cleopatra and Antony apart, and the mysterious circumstances surrounding Cleopatra's death. In 69 BCE, Cleopatra was born into the Ptolemaic dynasty, whose kings and queens ruled Egypt and were worshipped as gods. She grew up in the capital of Alexandria, and in 51 BCE, 18-year-old Cleopatra was crowned co-regent with her little brother. But her brother turned on her, banishing her to exile. Cleopatra forged an alliance with Roman leader Julius Caesar, who helped her regain her throne and fathered her son, Caesarion. But the boy was never recognized as Caesar's heir, and when Caesar was murdered in 44 BCE, his grandnephew Octavian inherited Caesar's half of the Roman Empire instead. By 41 BCE, 22-year-old Octavian co-ruled Rome with 42-year-old Mark Antony. Rome was used to receiving financial and military aid from Egypt, but Cleopatra hadn't been as generous as previous rulers. Antony summoned her to his base in Turkey to reprimand her, but they fell in love instead. The hard-partying pair called themselves the Inimitable Livers, and they spent a hedonistic winter in Egypt, which resulted in a new pregnancy for Cleopatra. In the spring of 40 BCE, Antony left Cleopatra to deal with the Parthians, an ancient empire in what is now Iran. They had encroached on Roman territory in Syria and killed one of Antony's governors, so Antony was ready for a fight, until a more pressing conflict arose. My lord, I have disturbing news about your wife. She and your brother Lucius started a war against Octavian. Lucius quickly surrendered, but Fulvia has fled to Greece. (sighs) The Parthians will get theirs one day. Set sail for Greece! Ambitious Fulvia had married two politicians before Antony and was unusually outspoken and involved for a Roman wife. While Antony was in Egypt, she took care of his duties alongside Octavian, who had wed Fulvia's daughter Clodia in 43 BCE. Octavian and Clodia's marriage had formed a strong alliance at first. However, Octavian deeply offended Fulvia when he soon decided to divorce Clodia. With nothing keeping the peace between the two sides, Fulvia and Mark Antony's brother, Lucius Antonius, began a war to eliminate Octavian and make Antony Rome's sole ruler. There were rumors that Fulvia really started the conflict to lure Antony back from Cleopatra. But whatever her motivations, Fulvia's actions tore Rome and her marriage apart. Fulvia, I'm ashamed. Your war has caused political pandemonium. And what's worse is, all my men are whispering that you're jealous of Cleopatra. The only one I'm jealous of is Octavian. You could easily overtake him. Enough! I'm going back to Rome to clean up your mess. Antony never saw Fulvia again after that fight in 40 BCE. She was allegedly ill when he visited and passed away shortly after. Some think she may have been depressed and died by suicide. But her exact cause of death remains unknown. 
Antony was likely devastated by her passing, but surprisingly, Fulvia's death improved his relationship with Octavian. Her war had plunged Rome into chaos, but now that she was gone, Antony and Octavian could search for a peaceful resolution. In October of 40 BCE, Antony and Octavian ended their squabbling with the Treaty of Brundisium and celebrated together. Cheers to you, Mark Antony. It's good to have you back. (laughs) If every treaty ends with wine and dancing, I'll sign one every week. I was thinking we'd have another occasion to celebrate soon. Perhaps a wedding? I love a good wedding. So, who are we marrying off? You. Arranged marriages cemented bonds between political families, and the treaty decreed that Antony was to marry Octavian's 29-year-old sister, Octavia. The young widow was polite, demure, and attractive, a perfect politician's wife. Octavian's marriage plan was clever, since now Antony couldn't move against him without breaking their treaty or hurting their shared family. At the end of 40 BCE, Antony married Octavia in Rome and became a father in Egypt. Citizens of Alexandria, good news! Our queen has given birth to twins! There, there. Shh. I'd forgotten how unglamorous motherhood is. If only Lord Antony were here to help. He'll be back. Antony must defend Rome against the Parthians. He'll drop by to borrow some soldiers and meet his twins. Good. Speaking of the little angels, have you come up with names yet? Octavian and Octavia. What? (laughs) Can you imagine? No, the boy is Alexander Helios, and this little princess is Cleopatra Cellini. And one day, they're going to rule the world. Yes, they are. Alexander Helios was named after Alexander the Great and Helios meant the sun in Greek. Cleopatra Selene was named after the Cleopatras who came before her, and Selene meant moon in Greek. Cleopatra's twins were the sun and the moon, destined to rule over a great empire like their forebearers. Antony wouldn't meet his twins until 37 BCE, when 32-year-old Cleopatra and 46-year-old Antony next saw each other at his Turkish base. Though it was officially a visit to discuss military strategy, it was really a lover's reunion. Cleopatra, how are you even more beautiful than when I last saw you? I suppose motherhood agrees with me. Where are the children? I can't wait to meet them and teach them to duel. (laughs) Maybe let them finish their nap first. Ah, but what will I do in the meantime? I've got a few ideas. Antony had two children with Octavia and three from earlier marriages, but Alexander and Selene were special to him. After all, their mother was the world's most powerful woman and the one he wanted at his side for his Parthian campaign. Parthia was closer to Egypt than to Rome, and Cleopatra was well-versed in regional politics. Antony had the brute force, but he needed Cleopatra's cunning. The problem isn't Parthia. 
It's everyone around it. I have to deal with a million little rebellions in my own eastern territory before I can even dream of conquering them. So make alliances, or make examples of those who won't ally with you. Easier said than done, my love. You know, a lot of these places used to belong to my family. Things were a lot simpler when the Ptolemies ruled the entire coast. <laughs> Shame they don't have descendants who can do the job today. I might know someone, but I hear she's very demanding. Romans say she's a witch who wraps leaders around her fingers. As long as she's good at her job, tell her it's a deal. Antony gave Cleopatra control over regions in modern-day Libya, Israel, Syria, Lebanon, and Turkey, and returned her rule over the island of Cyprus. Rome still maintained authority from afar, but Cleopatra monitored things up close and used timber from her territory's forests to build warships for Antony. Her domain was now nearly as vast as it had been in her dynasty's glory days. It was a great victory for Egypt, and Cleopatra celebrated accordingly. She reset their calendar and declared 37 BCE to be year one, then gave herself a grandiose new royal title. The empire is restored. I will henceforth be known as Queen Cleopatra, the goddess, the younger, father-loving, and father-land-loving. In the spring of 36 BCE, Antony led an army of 200,000 Romans and Egyptians into Parthian territory. Cleopatra took him to the Euphrates River in Turkey to say goodbye and to give him good news. Be brave, Antony. Stay strong. For me and your three children. Three? <laughs> I'm fond of Caesarian, but claiming Caesar's son as my own might send Octavian into a fit of rage. I don't mean Caesarian. You're pregnant? Again? Will wonders never cease? <laughs> <laughs> Not while I'm around. In the fall of 36 BCE, Cleopatra gave birth to a boy named Ptolemy Philadelphus. Though she was sad that Antony couldn't be with her, she knew he was out on the battlefield making her proud. Cleopatra was undeniably drawn to ambitious men who stopped at nothing to achieve victory. But the next chapter of her story would be a true test. How would she react when the love of her life suffered a humiliating defeat? When we return, we'll learn about Cleopatra and Antony's reckless quest for power and the battle that set the clock ticking toward their inevitable deaths. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person, and I appreciate you, and I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, back to the story. In 36 BCE, life was good for 33-year-old Queen Cleopatra, whose steamy affair with Roman consul Mark Antony gave her three children. Antony's gifts didn't stop there. He also put many of his Middle Eastern territories under her control. Meanwhile, life was tougher for Antony, who ruled in a tense alliance with Octavian and was reluctantly married to Octavian's sister, Octavia. He knew Rome frowned upon his relationship with Cleopatra, but Antony needed her army to triumph in his war against Parthia. In early 35 BCE, the gossip in Rome was that Antony was winning. But in Egypt, messengers brought Cleopatra a far more ominous update. Antony wanted her to come meet him with as many supplies as she could bring. His massive army had retreated to a coastal town in what is now Lebanon. Cleopatra suspected that this meeting wasn't because they'd won the war. After a long journey, Cleopatra arrived in her typically extravagant manner to dole out gifts and supplies, but her efforts brought no joy to the soldiers, like Antony's longtime aide and emissary, Delius. Fear not, brave warriors of Rome and Egypt. Your goddess Isis is here with weapons, wine, and gold. Rejoice! Delius, what's going on here? Where is Antony? In his tent, guzzling what's left of our wine. Go in if you must, but be warned. The man in there is not the man you kissed goodbye. Go away and leave me be, woman! You called me here. Is this how you treat the mother of your children? Tell my children I died in battle. (laughs) A battle with a bottle. Antony, put down the wine and tell me what happened. What hasn't? The Armenians double-crossed us. The Parthians shot us down. We lost our food, accidentally ate poison, boiled in the sun, and froze in the snow. And those who survived want my head for this absolute abject failure. How many of our men have perished? Over 20,000. News of his triumph was a lie. Over 20,000 soldiers were dead, and Antony was frequently drunk and near suicidal with guilt and despair. Cleopatra was there to help, but their love was tested when another woman tried to assist. Antony's wife, Octavia. She sent word that she was traveling to Antony with 2,000 of Octavian's best soldiers. If he accepted her help, it would further indebt him to Octavian, and he'd have to ask Cleopatra to leave. But if he rejected Octavia to rely on Cleopatra, he'd be turning his back on Rome, and Octavia would look like a fool. Cleopatra allegedly screamed, wept, starved, and became deathly ill all because she was terrified Antony would pick Octavia. Now, we have to remember that Roman historians did Cleopatra no favors. 
It seems strange that a strong woman who crossed treacherous terrain to supply an army would suddenly collapse into soap opera swooning. However, we also know Cleopatra loved a dramatic flourish. When she wasn't dressing as Aphrodite or resetting her empire's calendar to honor herself, she was throwing lavish parties and giving away servants as souvenirs. So the truth is, Cleopatra may have intentionally reacted that way to achieve her goals. Cleopatra? Antony, is it you? Or are you just a feeble woman's fever dream? Oh, stop. I've had enough of your caterwauling. Well, it's just as annoying when you do it. I know I've been a bit dramatic myself lately, but I'm at risk of losing everything. Losing everything? I left my kingdom to be with you in your hour of need. I've given you three children, scores of soldiers, and so much gold that I'm surprised my citizens haven't tried to hang me yet. Octavia is loyal and helpful, too. Everyone knows Octavia is her brother's puppet. Well, some people say I'm your puppet. Antony, I can't tell you which side to pick, but pick one fast. Wait! Antony made his choice. He told Octavia to return to Rome, then fled to Egypt to recover with Cleopatra and continue to plan his Parthian war. Then, in 34 BCE, Antony conquered Armenia, a nation between Rome and Parthia whose king had betrayed him. He captured the king and his family, joyfully paraded them through Alexandria in chains, and made them kneel at Cleopatra's feet in a mock version of a Roman triumph. Having a sacred Roman ritual in Egypt was improper, but Antony and Cleopatra's next stunt was downright obscene. The donations of Alexandria were held in front of an adoring crowd. Dressed as Dionysus and Isis, Antony and Cleopatra made their young children the rulers of different parts of their empire. This was highly arrogant, especially since some of the territories they gave out did not belong to them. But the most egregious act came when Antony introduced Cleopatra's son, Caesarion. I present to you Caesarion! future ruler of Egypt and the King of Kings, a title I bestow upon him in honor of his father, the great Julius Caesar. A decade earlier, Cleopatra fruitlessly begged Caesar to give her son a political future. Now the 35-year-old queen's son was confirmed as Caesar's heir by a Roman leader, which challenged Octavian's legitimacy as a ruler. Antony had a messenger bring news of the event to Octavian, who was, of course, furious. Octavian's fury ignited three years of accusations lobbed across the Mediterranean. Octavian said Antony was an alcoholic traitor whose wicked mistress wanted Rome for herself. Meanwhile, Antony retorted that Octavian was a manipulative coward who had no claim to Caesar's legacy. Politicians shifted alliances in anticipation of Antony and Octavian's treaty expiring at the end of 33 BCE, and everyone expected a fight. However, neither had real grounds to declare war until the next year when Antony divorced Octavia. This is it, Octavia. This is exactly what we need to move against Antony. How can this bring you joy? My husband just left me. And finally, all of Rome will see what a villain Antony is. 
People love you, Octavia. You're a saint, and anyone who sins against a saint is worth punishing. Octavia, no! I know it's not a word you're used to hearing, but you used me once to end your squabble with Antony. Please don't use me again to start a war. Octavia wasn't as bold as Cleopatra, but she was strong in her own quiet way. She left Antony's home in Greece and returned to Rome with his children. She even adopted one of Antony's and Fulvia's children to raise as her own. Octavian would have to wait a bit longer, but he finally found his way into war in 32 BCE, when one of Antony's close advisors betrayed him by sending Octavian a copy of Antony's will. Senators, I present to you Mark Antony's will. Now tell me, when Antony dies, where should he be buried? Why, in Rome. Despite this mess with Cleopatra, he's a fierce warrior who deserves a glorious celebration. I agree, but Antony insists that even if he dies in Rome, his body should be sent to Egypt so Cleopatra can bury him in the sand. That's outrageous. I agree. How can he keep Rome's interests at heart when Cleopatra has clawed her way inside? We have no choice but to declare war. Against Antony? No. I want to save Antony. We're going to war against Cleopatra. Octavian's Rome declared war against Cleopatra for the crime of seducing Mark Antony in her effort to take over Rome. Octavian assembled his forces and headed toward Antony's Greek territory, where Antony swore to defend Cleopatra. Cleopatra used her fortune to add to Antony's massive army. In 33 BCE, she had supplied 200 warships and the soldiers to man them. She also used her language skills to persuade leaders from territories across North Africa and the Middle East to help. But her presence at Antony's side caused serious friction within his forces. Lord Antony, I can't stand it anymore! Send your vixen back to the desert so we can fight this war in peace. Delius, if you call me that one more time, I'll have you executed. A murderous vixen, too. Antony, she's a poison in our ranks. Your men can't bear to see her at your side when she's the reason we're at war. Delius, you've made your point. Cleopatra, it would be safer for you back in Egypt. I... I need to think of my men. They're my men too, and my ships, and my gold. And the war is your fault. That seems to be the consensus, but I'm staying. I can't help it if Octavian started a war because of me, but you'll lose it without my help. At this point, Antony had been stripped of his political powers, and many began to see him as a private citizen, waging war against the leader of Rome using his rich girlfriend's money and connections. As Octavian approached, many of Antony's allies defected to Octavian's side. The most hurtful betrayal was when Delius, Antony's friend and right-hand man of ten years, switched camps in the name of Rome. The action came to a head on September 2nd, 31 BCE, when the two armies clashed at the Battle of Actium. It was the inevitable climax to years of building rancor between Egypt and Rome, but it ended up being surprisingly anticlimactic. 
Antony and Cleopatra's forces waited on the shores of the Ionian Sea in Greece as Octavian's warships approached from open water. Though Antony commanded a fleet that was half Octavian's size, his ships were bigger and sturdier and his men expertly trained. Antony and his generals rode forth into open water, while Cleopatra stayed on her vessel, the Antonia. Her fleet of 60 carried her and Antony's stock of treasure, so the boats stayed closer to shore, protected from harm. As both sides engaged in a frustrating battle, a strong wind picked up. Cleopatra's ships suddenly unfurled their sails and sped into open water, away from the action straight for Egypt. It seemed to everyone that Cleopatra had abandoned Antony, but then Antony hopped aboard a smaller boat and sailed off to join her and 40 of his ships followed. His remaining ships had no choice but to surrender, and Octavian effectively won. Cleopatra's reasons for running remain unclear. Less charitable historians say she fled to save herself, and lovesick Antony abandoned his men to follow her. Others say the move was planned. The battle was a diversion, and the real goal was for Antony and Cleopatra to escape with their treasure even if it cost them part of an army. After the battle, Antony was depressed and ashamed and went to Libya to find some of his troops. Cleopatra, on the other hand, made a bold decision to completely reframe her and Antony's situation as she returned to her kingdom. Carmion, I need flowers decorating every inch of the ship. Oh, and musicians playing flutes just like my father did. We're going to sail into the harbor playing a victory tune. But we haven't won. We haven't lost yet either. Cleopatra was a master storyteller, and she was going to rewrite recent events as a victory for Egypt. Unfortunately for her, Octavian and his forces were preparing for their own journey to Alexandria, where they would end her story forever. When we return, we'll cover the last year of Cleopatra's life and the terrible choices she faced in her fight to stay alive. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, back to the story. At the end of 31 BCE, Cleopatra and Antony recovered in Egypt after abandoning the Battle of Actium. They knew once winter ended, Roman consul Octavian would make the journey to Egypt to eliminate them once and for all. Since Antony was depressed and unfocused, Cleopatra had to steer their fight for survival. 
Caesarian, you need to prepare yourself to sit on my throne soon. And where will you go? East. Maybe India. I'll take enough gold to hide somewhere quiet until this blows over. You know, my father was exiled. So was I until I met your father. It happens all the time, and it makes us stronger rulers. How do you know Octavian won't just try to kill me instead? Caesar's strength flows through your veins. Octavian is no match for- That's not an answer, mother! Then just do as your queen tells you! Cleopatra groomed 16-year-old Caesarian to rule while she dreamed up an ambitious escape. Since Octavian would cut her off if she tried to leave on the Mediterranean Sea, she planned to load her ships onto land, drag them across the desert, and escape via the Red Sea instead. But Cleopatra's escape was cut off by the Nabataeans, a Red Sea tribe with a grudge against her. She was trapped in Egypt, and in desperation she executed Egyptians who criticized her, then stole their fortunes. She desperately sought support for her fight against Octavian and secretly began collecting and experimenting with poisons for later use. Cleopatra also managed a morose Mark Antony through secret negotiations with Octavian at the end of 31 BCE. Publicly, Octavian wanted them dead, but privately, he was willing to hear their pleas and accept their bribes. I asked him to exile me to Egypt, and he didn't even respond. (sighs) Any luck on your end? Did you send him a gift, like we said? Yes, a golden scepter. Octavian says he'll spare my life and let our children rule Egypt if... Well, if... If you kill me? Kill or exile. Those were his terms. You should consider it. I'm as good as dead anyway. Octavian's negotiations were likely a ploy to rip the lovers apart, and things boiled over when Octavian sent an attractive diplomat named Thersus to meet Cleopatra. Historians imply he was there to seduce her, and Cleopatra was allegedly happy to spend hours locked away with him alone. It's likely she was just being a smart negotiator, but Antony ruined things when he had Thersus beaten and sent back to Octavian. Antony had become a liability, and Cleopatra desperately had to restore his confidence. She bolstered his spirits with parties and threw a grand celebration for his 53rd birthday in January of 30 BCE. Raise your glass for a toast, and let's celebrate! The only thing I'd celebrate is the sweet release of an axe to my neck. But Antony, you'll never die. We're gods, remember? We're not gods, Cleopatra. We're just liars in silly costumes with too much power for our own good. Maybe. But for a while, the whole world thought we were deific. That means something, right? Please, one more toast to the Society of Inimitable Livers. I propose a new name. How do you like companions to the death? I don't. Fine. I've had enough to drink anyway. Years earlier, their parties had brimmed with the promise of new love and future glory. Now the pair morbidly called themselves companions to the death, and death was coming closer and closer. 
Octavian's army entered Egypt at Pelusium in the summer of 30 BCE. They were met without resistance, and historians Plutarch and Cassius Dio claim it was because Cleopatra secretly cooperated with Octavian. Others say she told Pelusium's generals to surrender because she didn't want needless bloodshed. Both could be true at the same time. Or we could believe Octavian, who said he conquered the city by force. Either way, he marched on to Alexandria. Cleopatra, who knew that Octavian was most interested in her fortune, built a mausoleum to store her treasure, along with a supply of kindling to burn it all and prevent Octavian from looting it. Her preparations were put to the test on August 1st of 30 BCE, when Octavian's fleet sped into the harbor. Antony had enough fighting spirit left to challenge his former brother-in-law to one last battle. His men had fended off Octavian's army on land in the days prior, and he thought they could defeat them again at sea. Antony watched proudly as his soldiers sailed out to fight Octavian's ships and received the most stunning betrayal of his life when they raised their oars to salute Octavian. His entire fleet had just defected, and Antony was now powerless. This is surely Cleopatra's doing. She's betrayed you, my lord. No, she couldn't have. I must see her. After learning of the fleet's betrayal, Cleopatra sent her children to safety, left her palace for the nearby mausoleum, and barricaded herself inside with her servants. Lord Antony is headed here. Should we let him in? No, keep him out. Tell him, tell Antony I took my own life. Some historians suspect that Cleopatra fulfilled a covert pact with Octavian to get rid of Antony. Others suggest that she wanted Antony to flee, and the only way he'd do that is if he thought she was dead. Either way, Antony returned to the palace with his guard Eros in time to receive her message. This was his rock bottom, since it was a tradition for Roman generals to sacrifice themselves when they knew that all had been lost. Antony knew his time had come. Cleopatra is lost, and now so am I. Loyal Eros, you know what you must do. Lord Antony, I'm sorry. Eros, no! Eros preferred to die by suicide rather than kill the great Mark Antony. If Antony wanted a dignified end, he'd have to do it himself. So he wrenched the sword from his dead guard's hands and stabbed himself through the belly. Unsuccessfully. Instead of dying, he lay bleeding on the floor, begging guards to finish him off. In the midst of his pain, Cleopatra found out Antony had hurt himself. Guards rushed Antony to the mausoleum, where Cleopatra and her servants used ropes to pull him up to the upper story. As he lay dying, she allegedly screamed, wept, clawed gashes into her chest, and wiped his blood on her face. Antony, hold on. We'll send for Olympus, the best doctor in Egypt. No. Just give in to Octavian and pray he'll spare you. It's too late for doctors, and it's too late for me. (coughs) Not too late 
For one, though. <laughs> There's my Dionysus. Drink this. Here's to us. Companions to the death. I'll see you soon. <coughs> no, you won't. A goddess never dies. Antony died in Cleopatra's arms, just as Octavian's forces arrived at the gates of her palace and mausoleum. She threatened to set the place on fire and destroy her treasure, but Octavian's men broke through the barricades and captured her before the fire could be started. Due to fears of an Egyptian revolt, Octavian treated Cleopatra humanely. Though she was in lockdown and suffered from the injuries she gave herself while Antony died, she did have access to her handmaids and her comforts. She was also allowed to perform Antony's burial rites. The man who turned his back on Rome did get his last wish of an Egyptian burial. On August 8th, 30 BCE, Cleopatra demanded to speak to the man who turned the whole world against her. According to Plutarch, 33-year-old Octavian surprised a bedraggled Cleopatra while she lay exhausted in bed. In contrast, Dio wrote that Cleopatra dressed exquisitely for the encounter and greeted Octavian with seductive charm. Ah, Cleopatra. It's funny. I don't think we've ever actually met in person. I must say, reports of your beauty were greatly exaggerated. It's good to meet you too, my lord. Both Plutarch and Dio say Cleopatra promised him treasure and reminded him of his great-uncle Caesar's affection for her. She may have also claimed she was a victim of Antony's bravado, which wasn't far from the truth. Cleopatra tried every tactic she could to appeal to Octavian, because she had one urgent request. If you're going to execute me, let me die in Egypt. Don't lead me in a triumph through the streets of Rome. Strange. I seem to recall you and Antony staged one here in Alexandria with Armenia's king. I thought you were a fan of triumphs. Octavian, please! I beg of you! Rest assured, you may have lost your lover, your looks, and your throne. But I'll make sure you keep your dignity. Cleopatra suspected Octavian was lying. She knew he wouldn't be able to resist parading her and her children through Rome for all of the world to mock, and such a shame would be worse than death. Something had to be done. In early August of 30 BCE, Cleopatra paid a last visit to Antony's body, then returned to her chambers to enjoy a bath. Her servants prepared an elaborate dinner, including sweet figs brought from the countryside. Afterwards, she beckoned for Epaphroditus, one of Octavian's guards who was fond of her. If it isn't any trouble... Could you please bring this letter to Octavian? I'd be ever so grateful. Of course, your majesty. Carmion, Eris, keep the door shut. Lord Octavian, I have an urgent message from Cleopatra. <laughs> Let me guess. If I spare her, she'll give me the pyramids too? It says, bury me with my Antony. 
No. I need her alive. Go to her at once! Guards broke down the doors to Cleopatra's chamber to find the 39-year-old Queen of Egypt sprawled on a bed, dressed in her finest clothes and already dead. Eras lay dead at her feet, and faithful Carmion was barely alive. She used the last bit of strength she had to adjust the crown on Cleopatra's head. A fine deed this is, Carmion. It is indeed most fine, and befitting the descendant of so many kings. After hailing Cleopatra's royal lineage, Carmion died too, leaving the guards to wonder what had just happened. The classic story goes like this. After hearing Octavian plan to take her to Rome, Cleopatra had her servants smuggle in an Egyptian cobra, also known as an asp, inside her bowl of figs. The women passed around the snake so it could rip into their flesh and inject its venom. Then they all laid down to die. Cleopatra's lover was dead and her throne was stolen, so she chose to die by suicide, devastated but dignified. It's easy to want to believe the words of ancient historians like Plutarch and Dio. Their telling of Cleopatra's story is powerful, with exciting battles, doomed love affairs, tragic suicides, and plenty of sex appeal. But their accounts are a mix of history with myth. That makes sense when you learn that Plutarch and Dio weren't born until many decades after Cleopatra died. Their words were based on second-hand stories, and as modern historians are starting to realize, the story of Cleopatra and Antony's end may actually be an ancient cover-up for two brutal murders. First, we have to question Antony's noble self-sacrifice. A very convenient way to get him out of the picture without Octavian getting his hands dirty. Maybe Antony's last interaction with his guard, Eros, went a little differently. My lord, the battle is over! All of your men have surrendered! Ah, all but you, loyal Eros. Lord Antony, I'm sorry. Eros, no! Antony's guard eliminated him, as any scared soldier might. Perhaps then Octavian had Eros killed to cover up the slaying. The story of Cleopatra clawing her breasts and wiping his blood on her face is suspect, too. While self-harm was part of Egyptian women's mourning, it seems unlikely that image-conscious Cleopatra would disfigure herself, especially if, per Dio, she planned to seduce Octavian as a last-ditch effort to save herself. It's highly possible that Octavian's guards broke into her mausoleum with strict instructions to subdue her. Queen Cleopatra, Octavian requests your presence. I would sooner burn with my treasures than submit to him. Then submit you shall. Octavian likely tortured Cleopatra during her imprisonment, and he probably never let her have fine dining or her fancy wardrobe either. His propaganda against her specifically criticized her vanity and sensuality. So he'd want to strip her of these things that made her such a seductive force. Even if Octavian was open to negotiating, he'd want to keep Cleopatra weak and scared. And if the queen somehow did get a lavish final meal with figs for dessert, there are questions about the asp that bit Cleopatra, Eras, and Carmion. 
First off, an Egyptian cobra is, on average, five to seven feet long. It seems unlikely that Octavian's guards wouldn't have noticed one coiled up inside a fig basket. Second, it would take a lot of luck and precision for each woman to coax a bite out of the cobra. Its venom is deadly, but there's no guarantee that all three would have gotten a fatal dose in their bloodstream. Venom can also cause unsightly reactions like shaking and swelling, but their bodies were said to look angelic, and a snake was never seen at the scene of the crime. Some historians think Cleopatra may have simply produced a secret vial of hemlock or opium and split it with her handmaids. The snake story probably stuck because it provided the most iconic image. After all, snakes have long been associated with dangerous women, like Medusa or Eve, and significantly Cleopatra's favorite goddess, Isis. But with no actual proof of a poisoning, it's also possible that Cleopatra's cause of death was simply the man who hated her most, Octavian. My lord, Cleopatra is acting too calm. She's hiding something. I think perhaps she means to end her own suffering. Ah, good. Maybe she's finally come to her senses. But don't you want to bring her home alive? And lead her in a triumph? That would be nice. Cleopatra, scrubbed free of makeup, weighed down by chains, carted through Rome like livestock. But she makes an impression wherever she goes. And powerful Romans keep coming to her defense. A humbled Cleopatra might be even more seductive, and I can't have that. <laughs> she might even sway me. Sir? She is a cancer to Rome who must be stamped out here in the sand from which she crawled. Go to her, and if she hasn't ended her life, do us all the favor of ending it for her. Cleopatra's death marked the end of the Egyptian Empire as Octavian annexed it under Roman control. Her children, Alexander Helios, Cleopatra Cellini, and Philadelphus were reportedly taken to Rome, where Antony's saintly ex-wife Octavia raised them. Cellini went on to marry King Juba of Mauritania. Though she died around the age of 35, Queen Cellini was respected as a leader and maintained many of her mother's Egyptian customs. Caesarian wasn't so lucky. Octavian had him executed to eliminate his claim to Caesar's legacy. Soon after, Octavian renamed himself Augustus. With Cleopatra and Antony eliminated, he became the first all-powerful Roman emperor. With his ascension, Antony and Cleopatra became a thing of the past. After a closer look, I believe Octavian had Cleopatra murdered, and the Asp story was a convenient and poetic cover-up. By claiming it was a suicide, Octavian mollified Egypt with the story of their queen's dignified death and excited Rome with the idea that Antony's temptress had finally done an honorable thing. I disagree. While the snake story is suspicious, I think Cleopatra was clever enough to have a secret supply of poison. She was also desperate enough to see suicide as her only escape since she knew she'd be shipped off to Rome. In the end, I want to believe this fierce and fiercely misunderstood ruler went out on her own terms, no matter how tragic. Looking back at Cleopatra's life, it's striking how much of her downfall was due to Antony's actions. Without his war washing up on her shores, it's possible she would have lived and reigned for years. 
It was easier for Romans to believe an unstable temptress made Antony stray from his friends, wives, and duties. That narrative pinned internal issues on a foreigner and allowed Octavian to take over. In truth, it seems like Antony and Octavian may have been the power-mad and unstable ones, not Cleopatra. Cleopatra was also meticulous about how she presented herself. If she were alive today, she might be furious that her most memorable traits and actions are ones based on dubious rumors spread by Octavian. Or maybe not. After all, Cleopatra also had a taste for drama, glamour, and glory. So the Queen of Egypt might just be thrilled that we're all still obsessed with her today, thousands of years after her death. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next week with a new mystery. For more information on the life and death of Cleopatra, amongst the many sources we used, we found the books The Murder of Cleopatra by Pat Brown and Cleopatra, A Life by Stacey Schiff, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Well, not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. We'll see you next time. Yeah, if we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Amin Osman, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, Joe Hernandez, Harris Markson, Rebecca Thomas, and Kimlin Tran. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Oh, oh, oh.